0: You're listening to the thoroughly good classical music podcast.
1: Grown old, the sun has but
2: a... a new album from Signum Classics, due for release in November 2021, features music recorded by the Orchestra of the Swan in Saffron Hall in Cambridge earlier this year. The album entitled Labyrinth is a characteristically eclectic mix of music from Orchestra of the Swan, including arrangements by the brilliant director and violinist David LePage. And pertinently for this podcast at least, it also features a recording of the haunting pastoral from Britain's serenade for tenor, horn and strings, featuring this chap as tenor soloist.
1: The shadows now. My name is Nicky Spence, I'm a tenor, and I'm hanging out with John Jacob today as we scurry through the objet d'art of Deptford <laughs> Market. We are in downtown Deptford next to the Albany Theatre, which is a glorious hub for all kinds of art, which is amazing. And this is the famous market, which is here every Wednesday, Friday and Saturday. We can get Saturday! <laughs> Saturday, where you can get your knick-knacks, your brick and brack and your things. The lovely news for me is that I've just been made an ambassador for Help Musicians UK, which is a charity that means a hell of a lot to myself and many other musicians. The episode also
2: includes, in considerably less quality audio, I should warn you and apologise for, Help Musicians UK CEO James Ainscuff with both him and Nikki Spence, reflecting on what musicians needed in terms of support during the pandemic and what they need in the
0: future. In a nutshell, we support musicians in terms of empowering them to drive their careers forward and also supporting musicians in terms of propping them up in crises, because everybody through life has a a crisis or more than one crisis and they need support. It's um, an organisation that's done amazing work for 100 years now uh, but it's nowhere near as big vibrant and and all, all, um, all, all reaching as it could be so there's a big mission still for the charity and I, and I don't like doing jobs where you're, where you're just treading water I like to do jobs where uh, you can you can move things on.
2: What sort of time scale are you talking about in terms of that? I don't want to use the pivot word because I don't think this is really about pivoting I think it's, it's um, about sort of uh coming up with a fairly responsive yeah coming up with a responsive plan fairly quickly i'm wondering how long that that shift took
0: yeah it, it, it was it was pretty quick so i think lock, did lockdown start on a it was a tuesday or a wednesday wasn't it yes it was. Um, yeah so so by the following monday we had worked out how to run a hardship program at scale um online and, and a few days later, roughly, we were we were launching it and and good to go. Um, and that wasn't—I'll be honest—that wasn't because we had done months and months of insightful forward planning. Um, it it was—it was more like you know, you know that that scene in um, the film Apollo 13, where they have to make a carbon dioxide filter out of just whatever they had in a they could find on the spaceship. And then they had like a box and a bag and a bit of gaffer tape and whatever else. We had one of those moments when we're like, right. What do we need? We need people to apply. We need them to give us their, their bank details. We need to have some money in the, in the in the account to pay out to them. And we need to get some funds done. So how are we going to sequence that and tie it all together in a way that, you know, where, where our admin doesn't slow people down? Um, and we just did that very logical, actually quite dull process in a sense. It was just exciting because it was fast and, 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 and necessary. So we were able to put £5 million up straight away to effectively start the hardship Um, Work so so we could get going before we had to do fundraising and then because we got going we're going fast Um, Lots of people then just naturally wanted to contribute to that and so fundraising became easy Um, so uh, So far now we we started off with five million in total. We've put in about eight million, but we will have passed out to musicians um, By the end of September almost 18 million pounds of financial hardship support Um, so eight million from what the charity had saved up in the past and 10 million that has been given to us by everybody from big major players like the BPI and Arts Council England, right down to music lovers who were sending us five quid, um through our website.
1: They've been an extraordinary force for good. They've been all sorts of things over the years, hundred years of having this centenary this year, set up by Edward Algar, and now they have been basically helping people pay their bills, not living fancy lives, literally for artists' life stopped. So they didn't have any income. They had no prospect of income. You know, mortgages lost, all kinds of horrible, horrendous stories. Some people have had to leave the profession, which they've worked so hard at for years and years. And help musicians were there. Not many questions asked. You didn't have to kind of bow and scrape. Uh, They just said, okay, here's the money. And I think that vote of confidence has not been seen elsewhere in the government. And for them to have done that is I find it really moving.
0: One of the one of the positives coming out of the pandemic is uh, a lot of people who maybe should have known, but didn't have realised a lot more what the life of a musician is like. So you know, it was brought home starkly to us that nine out of 10 musicians are freelancers. Um, and they're freelancers, not because they've chosen to do a tax dodge so that their half million pound income is more tax efficient. They're freelancers <laughs> because they've got no choice. And what's more, they're low-paid freelancers with no job security whatsoever. Uh, most of their work coming from uh, in-person. Uh, so very little kind of coming from royalties. Um, a, a kind of f- fight, fighting to find work. So fighting to do their work well and find work for the following week or the following month and all the insecurities that that brings and all that being done by people who are highly highly talented and have had to invest a huge amount of money and time in reaching that level of skill and, and investing in the in the instrument and the and, and the kits that is required to do that so i think we all have uh, inherently a much better understanding of the the um the challenges of being a professional musician and i think that empathy um over the long term i think will help charities like ours maintain a higher level of donations than we had before the pandemic. Um, But I do think there's a danger, particularly for the next six to 12 months, that everybody will see some music happening and think that all music has returned. And actually you and I know that um, uh, we are nowhere near the volume of musical activity um, here in September 2021 that September 2019 would have seen. And it will probably be at least 12 months, if not 24 months, before the music sector returns to that volume of work again. And so uh, it, it is a concern of ours that um, the pandemic um, h- helped the fundraising effort by, by making it patently obvious that there was, an, uh, there was a big and urgent need to support musicians. Uh, my view is that that, that need <laughs> is still there, um, and we don't have the kind of the pandemic to create the sense of urgency. So organizations like, like mine are going to have to pedal harder. In order to generate um, uh, donations, uh, generate generate the donations that we need. Um, I, I think that the other thing, though, is that um, if, if the pandemic has given health musicians and other music charities um, a little bit more spotlight, a little bit more focus in the eyes of music lovers, we also then have an opportunity to explain better to those music lovers the impact of the work that we do. Um, and so not not just um, the uh, the kind of the crisis support type of things that we have been doing in the pandemic and, and still do, but also the career building work that we do to, to support musicians.
2: I know how I felt throughout this period. I felt as though sometimes I felt as though it's been an opportunity for uh, an uncaring government to finally um, hit the, the final nail in the coffin of the arts really and certainly in terms of music education uh, it's been the perfect excuse if you like or the perfect opportunity that's a very negative, cynical view it might be rooted oh. in some, some, uh, some reality what, what has your view been? what is your view on that?
1: I think that the arts are not necessarily understood which makes it very difficult then to support and I think that this country is a big old ship and it can't necessarily turn as swiftly as as it might do being on the board for the ISM i've seen all of the down and dirty negotiations in terms of you know brexit and now with covid and all that kind of thing there is a great will to support the arts but i think often they just don't know how to do it and what in which form that should come so there's a messaging opportunity i mean i didn't
2: expect you to say that actually which has triggered my thinking that maybe is a there... Uh, a greater need for the arts to articulate its value. Well, what the arts need to do differently, I suppose. That's
1: what I'm asking. I think that um, it's important that we see all of ourselves being represented in the arts, and then it would be understood, because people would see themselves, and then it wouldn't be so much as an elite sport that people don't know much about if it was seen within everyday life much more than. The impact of it would be recognised. Where does it need to be seen? At base level, roots.
2: So, music education,
1: music education, diversity, really roping everybody into the opportunity of making music together.
2: And how long do you?
1: How long do you think that's going to? How long do we need to devote to that? I think if it's obviously a, change. I think it's a life's work for some people, and things are shifting with the BAME movement now and with, you know, body shaming and seeing, you know, gender struggles, all of this is happening, but it's a slow old blooming road and all we can do is try and lubricate that journey to to, um, bring a, a complete artistic scene which is served by everybody. I think that it's all about people understanding what it is artists do. We are business people and artists. We're not riding ponies (laughs) and haven't got the clue about you don't seem to have your
2: unicorn. I
1: don't, I left it in the paddock. Right, yes, no. About you know we all work really blooming hard and it's not just what you see on the stage it's the hours of preparation before that it's the hours of meetings with your accountant with your management with So is it
2: painting the picture of the reality of being an artist as well as as well as underlining the value that it brings
1: absolutely it's the one it's the most wonderful job to do and i feel very lucky to do it you know wearing wigs and makeup for a living basically it's a lot of work and I think people don't understand that it takes so much work and the devotion, the hours of devotion. And it's like it's a calling. In other countries, art and culture is seen so much with so much more reverence and with with joy and with um, understanding. And I think in this country it just isn't. You've been listening to the thoroughly
0: good classical music podcast presented by John Jacob subscribe to the podcast via Spotify, Apple or Google or whatever podcast app you're using.